Are you feeling lost? Families, eh? Let's explore a story about two lost sons with the same huge problem. The parable of the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son are so well known that they've become part of our popular culture. Both are so well known that they've become unknown, detached from their original offensive nature by our westernization of their stories. It's good to remember that Jesus was not a European, nor was he addressing a European audience. If Jesus is who he claims to be, he should be the best storyteller in history. When you get to know the parable of the lost sons, as the parable of the prodigal son should be better named, you'll appreciate his genius. Let's unpack the beautiful sublime poetry of the prodigal son, or the two lost sons. We'll read the key passage first. I've broken it up phrase by phrase so that you can begin to see the mirroring structure of the story. A loop is opened and left opened and then closed in the resolution of each section until the dramatic ending. This is Luke 15 verses 11 to 32 in the World English Bible. He said a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of your property. So he divided his livelihood between them. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all of this together and travelled into a far country. There he wasted his property with riotous living. When he had spent all of it, there arose a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. He went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He wanted to fill his belly with the husks that the pigs ate, but no one gave him any. But when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I'm dying with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and will tell him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let's eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Then they began to celebrate. Now the elder son was in the field. As he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants to him and asked what was going on. He said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back, safe and healthy. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and begged him. But he answered his father, Behold, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed a commandment of yours, but you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this your son came who has devoured your living with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
but it was appropriate to celebrate and be glad, for this, your brother, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's begin to think in the cultural terms of the Middle East. Firstly, another story about dignity and decency, decorum and being posh. This is the story of David and Mickle, Saul's daughter, dignity and dirty dancing. I'm quoting from 2 Samuel 6. As Yahweh's ark came into David's city, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out through the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before Yahweh, and she despised him in her heart. Then David returned to bless his household. Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said how glorious the king of Israel was today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants' maids, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. David said to Michal, It was before Yahweh who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me prince over the people of Yahweh, over Israel. Therefore I will celebrate before Yahweh. I will be yet more vile than this and will be worthless in my own sight. But the maids of whom you have spoken will honour me. Let's sow a seed in the Middle East, ladies and gentlemen of status and authority. Don't dance like common people. They don't rush. They don't run. Hold that thought. The disrespectful queen who lost the crown. The book of Esther is a tale of the rise to dominion of a humble Jewish girl who acted wisely and courageously. The former queen loses her position when she disrespects the king. Here's some of the story. The king is holding a feast and calls for his queen Vashti to join him. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by the eunuchs. Therefore the king was very angry, and his anger burned in him. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, What shall we do to Queen Vashti according to law, because she has not done the bidding of the king, Ahasuerus, by the eunuchs? Mamukin answered before the king and the princes, Vashti the queen has not done wrong to just the king, but also to all the princes and to all the people who are in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus. For this deed of the queen will become known to all women, causing them to show contempt for their husbands. When it is reported, King Ahasuerus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, but she didn't come. Today the princes of Persia and Media, who have heard of the queen's deed, will tell all the king's princes. This will cause much contempt and wrath. If it pleases the king, let a royal commandment go from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it cannot be altered, that Vashti may never again come before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal estate to another who is better than she. When the king's decree which he shall make is published throughout all his kingdom, for it is great, all the wives will give their husbands honour, both great and small." This advice pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Mamukin. Respect is important in all societies. In the Middle East, it is far more important than we claim it is in the West. Hold that thought. When there's smoke, there's fire. Drawing a crowd when Mary went out to meet Jesus in John 11, after the death of Lazarus, her brother. Quoting from John 11, Then the Jews, who were with her in the house and were consoling her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Community is massive in the Middle East. Everybody in the village knows everybody else's business. Crowds gather easily. It's entertainment. 
hold that thought. The elements of the parable of the two lost sons. Here is something that goes beyond the expectation of the hearers. Let me share the key elements in bullet points and ask you to listen to the attached audio program too. Firstly, the younger son requests and receives possession and the right of disposal of his portion of the inheritance. The request is exceptional. It is the equivalent of saying, Father, I wish you were already dead. It's heartbreaking for the father. The granting of the request is exceptional too. The younger son should have had this request refused and he should have been publicly punished, driven from the house and out of the village for showing callous disrespect. Being given the right of disposal is totally unheard of. Jesus' hearers would have been aghast both at the son's audacity and the father's agreement to this. The father is compromising his future security. Land is precious and should never go out of the family or out of the community they live within. The fact that the younger son gets out of town quick suggests that he would have begun to cause an uproar in the community. More on this in a moment. Key points about the father. This is unconditional love demonstrated in a way that would shock and horrify. The older son would be expected to live together in harmony with his younger brother. He fails to act as one who is expected to reconcile the younger son to their father. His silence on the matter of the need for reconciliation speaks volumes. He also fails to protest at his father giving him his portion of the inheritance. This also speaks volumes. The living was divided between them both. Both have access to the inheritance. The younger son sells his inheritance, a terrible thing to do. It is likely that a level of contempt for him increases with every sale, especially of land, that should always stay in the community. So he leaves in a hurry. He goes to a far country. He loses it all in wasteful living. The sin is seen as losing the money, which can be restored. Money that could look after the father in his elder years. This is not the real sin, but he hasn't realised that yet. It gets worse for Jesus' listeners. This young Jewish lad glues himself to a Gentile, a citizen of that far country. The foreigner seeks to get rid of the embarrassment of the younger son by offering him work feeding pigs, something a Jewish lad should refuse. This is the most desperate of scenarios. No one is giving the younger son anything. He can't eat the wild carob pods, as they are virtually inedible to humans and low in nourishment. So he can't even eat pig food. Then comes the turning point. He comes to himself, the cunning plan. The plan is to return to the village, but not home. The plan is to work as a hired servant, and thus not have to live in the house under his father and the eldest brother. No reconciliation is necessary in this face-saving plan. He can thus redeem the situation, difficult though it may be given the likely hostility of the community, for the disrespect he's shown his father, for the audacity of his initial request, and for the wasting of the inheritance. But the plan is broken, shattered by love. He is overwhelmed by unconditional love demonstrated in front of the whole village in a way that would be seen as humiliating for the father, who runs. Remember Mary going out to the tomb of Lazarus? The crowd followed. This is the way of the Middle East and Africa and Asia and occasionally the West. People would have been staring open-mouthed at this community leader running to his son on the outskirts of the village, thereby saving the son a mob reception. More than this, 
he falls on the son's neck, thereby preventing the son from kissing his hand or kissing his feet in subjection. Grace and love break the resistance, and the true nature of the sin is seen, the broken relationship, something he cannot redeem by himself. The cunning plan is abandoned as the wrong plan it always was. He drops the plan to become like a hired servant, not even mentioning it. Accepting grace, the younger son is embraced and kissed as a son. As we said, no kiss on the feet, nor kiss on the hand. This is intimate reconciliation. Accepting grace, the younger son gets the robe of authority and office, the father's very own best robe, save for the most important occasions. Accepting grace, the younger son gets the signet ring to conduct business and community affairs in his father's name. Accepting grace, the younger son gets the sandals of sonship. He is not a slave. Accepting grace, the younger son is dressed by the servants, re-establishing him as their master. Accepting grace, the younger son gets the covenant calf, the fattened calf, the feast, the joy, the dancing, the singing, the celebration. A celebration that would always be shared with the whole community because of the scale of the sacrifice of the fattened calf. This is a big animal. It is to be shared with the whole village. Accepting grace, the younger son is returned to sonship. Realising he's unworthy, that he cannot restore the relationship, he humbly repents, genuinely repents, receives grace and gracious gifts, and is honoured. This is genuine repentance, not a cunning plan. The father rejoices, the community rejoices, in shock, I suspect, and the feast begins. Let's turn our attention to the other lost son. The elder son, by staying outside, disrespects his father and rejects his own role at the feast. He should have faked joy at least, pretending to be happy his brother is back safe. And then, if he had an issue, which he does, taking this up with his father privately. The elder son has subjected his father to an insult in front of the community gathered for the feast. He shows he too is lost. But not in a far country, lost at home. And he doesn't know it. He thinks he's a good son. The father shows the same kind of unconditional, humiliating love by going to the eldest son outside and not rebuking him, even using terms of endearment in spite of the elder son failing to address his father with a respectful title. The eldest son is angry, a sin in these circumstances. The eldest son uses no title of respect to his father, a sin in these circumstances. The eldest son is a slave, seeing this as his path to redemption. I quote, I have slaved for you for these many years, and I have never disobeyed a commandment of yours. The eldest son is an accuser like Satan himself, accusing the father of never even giving him something as small as a goat that he may celebrate, an important concept in the parable, with his own friends. The eldest son's friends being different to the father's friends or those of the younger brother. The elder son has distanced himself. There's no realisation by the eldest son of the broken relationship with his father, though he does divorce himself from any relationship with his brother. The eldest son exaggerates and amplifies the imagined sins of his brother. Nothing is said in the beginning of the parable about harlots. Rather, the loss is through extravagant living. But oh no, the eldest brother uses his imagination to paint the worst possible portrait of his younger brother. The eldest son distances himself from the father and the son. 
But when this, your son, came, who has devoured your living with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The eldest had his inheritance too, but couldn't spend it, at least in both his mind and in the culture of the day. If he had only asked, what would have happened? He thinks he doesn't have the right of disposition. He doesn't have liquid assets. And most importantly, the poetic structure is left very poignantly as an open loop, unclosed, unfinished. It should have been that the eldest son went in and joined the feast that he too was reconciled to his brother, but it's left unsaid. The poetic structure is left very poignantly as an open loop, unclosed, unfinished. It should have been that he entered the feast, he too being reconciled to his father and his brother, recognising the sin of broken relationship. We are left uncertain about the future of the eldest brother. What does all this say about the father? The father shows love that is unconditional. Both sons should have been punished and possibly disinherited for their disrespect and callousness. Both failed in their roles as sons and brothers. The father shows love that is humiliating. He runs, that's a no-no. If you remember the story of David dancing before the ark, and Michal looking down at him, really looking down at him, that shows us that the culture of the day was you had to have dignity, and that was shown in your movements you do not run. He doesn't dispossess either of his sons for their lack of respect. Remember the story of Queen Vashti in the book of Esther. When she didn't do what she was told, she was dispossessed never to see the king's face again. He gives the inheritance while nowhere near his own point of death. That's a no-no that is totally unheard of in Middle Eastern history of the period. This is scandalous love. He bears the shame of both brothers, first by running to the younger son before the villagers could make their contempt felt, secondly by going outside and begging the elder brother. He goes to both brothers individually. He kisses affectionately. He uses the most affectionate language. The father shows generosity on an unprecedented scale. He grants not only the inheritance, but also the right to dispose of it. Remember, he gives the portion of the inheritance to both sons. He opens himself up to the risk of not being cared for in his old age. He restores the younger son with a kiss, not as an equal, but as a father to a son. He restores the younger son to the office of sonship with the robe and signet ring. He restores the younger son to freedom with the sandals of sonship. He restores the younger son to being the head over the servants. They must serve him as son of their master. He celebrates the younger son's return to sonship with a covenant sacrifice. The fattened calf was fattened for the biggest events, celebrated by a feast that the whole village would be invited to. These would be events such as the wedding of the eldest son, or the visit of a great dignitary, such as the ruler of the region. This is big, huge, significant, newsworthy. Sons and daughters. What is true for the sons here in this parable is true for us as sons and daughters. If you are feeling lost at the moment, which son do you most identify with? The parable leaves us with decisions to make and questions to ask. Are we seeing sin as a wasting of our inheritance or as a broken relationship with the father? The younger son was an honest sinner. The older son was a dishonest saint. Are we bitter towards God? You never even gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. The eldest son wanted a form of joy that was also outside the relationship with his father. Do we think God is a grudging God? Do we think he is tight, withholding good things from us, to teach us something while he sits in luxury? 
Are we failing the best God has for us? As in Psalm 133. Let me read this to you. I quote, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. End quote. But let's repeat the close. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life, abundant life, eternal life, forevermore. We are meant to live in harmony. Remember the great commandments upon which hang all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And love your neighbour as yourself. Are we accepting that we cannot redeem ourselves? No plan is going to restore the broken relationship. It has to come from the Father. Are we accepting with humility our restoration to being daughters and sons once more? Are we accepting the Father's finest robe of office? And are we acting on our authority? Are we accepting and using the Father's signet ring, his name? And are we using his name to express dominion? Are we living as slaves or as sons and daughters? Are we lost outside the house or lost within the house? Are we realising that our Father's servants are there to serve us too? Do we realise and act upon the fact that there are legions of angels, faithful and loyal to the Lord of hosts, and who are ministering spirits sent forth to render service for us who are heirs of salvation? Are we asking for a goat when we want one, or grumbling instead, in our hearts, at the meanness of God? Are we ready to ten times our appreciation of the Father's generosity and accept the bigger vision, the fattened calf, the best possible provision? Are we ready to celebrate with joy? Are we treating our Father with respect? Hey, are we jealous of other Christians' blessings? Do we think of them as these children of yours? Or do we recognise them as sisters and brothers and are happy for their prosperity? Are we seeking to live in harmony with them? Are we lost in a far country or equally lost in the home? Are we lost away from the church, or are we lost even while we attend church? Are we carrying out the ministry of reconciliation, as if God were making his appeal like the Father through us? Be reconciled. Be reconciled to God. I meet so many Christians who are still trying to save themselves. It's not about what we've done. It's about the broken relationship. That's what being lost means, and God is running towards us. The Apostle Paul concludes in one of his letters, so we are messengers for Christ. God is using us to call people. So we are standing here for Christ and begging people, come back to God. Messengers here is the Greek word presbuomen, from a verb derived from an older, venerated person. In other words, to be elderly or mature and thereby to take precedence and act as an ambassador. To be loyal, trustworthy, knowledgeable, especially in the opinion of those to whom they belong, know or represent. It's time for us to grow up, to be mature and to represent the family. The family business is for you and I to be ambassadors for God the Father in the ministry of reconciliation. Call here is the Greek word parakaluntus. Make a call from being close up and personal. A word closely related to parakletos, our counsellor, the word used for the Holy Spirit. It's time to be co-workers together with the Holy Spirit. It's the ministry of reconciliation. It's co-workers together with God. Wow. B. 
begging here is the Greek word diometha, to feel a pressing need because of lack, hence urging or begging or beseeching. Are you and I desperate for people to be reconciled to God? Is it feeling like God is within us, reaching out to people, calling to people personally and saying, be reconciled to God? From the same passage in 2 Corinthians 15, we get the phrase, the ministry of reconciliation. That's your purpose. That's your job. That's your calling. We also get the concept of seeing people in a new way, a new relationship with the Father in Christ, a new creation. You are a new creation. Now, what are you going to do with this privileged relationship? Put on your robe. Act like a queen or king, a ruler, royalty. You're part of God's family. Put on his signet ring and command in his name. Understand his nature, his will, his ways. Be his ambassador. Your new citizenship is in heaven. Put on your sandals. You are a daughter or a son and you are free. Act like you are free. And eat your meat. It's time to celebrate. God has given you richly all things to enjoy. Name your inheritance. Claim your inheritance. Share your inheritance. The Lord knows that the world needs you to do this today. Oh, and if no one is giving you anything, check your relationship with the Father. Every good thing flows from the Father of lights. Come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy in this time of need. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And remember, love never fails. Love will always find the answer. Here's a first step then, if you haven't yet committed your life to God. If you know you need help, and if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, raised up from the dead to life, and you're ready to accept him as Lord of your life, here's a prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe you were raised from the dead. And say out loud now, Jesus is my Lord. I turn away from all the old ways I walked in and ask you to forgive me for every sin committed. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, so that I may be transformed and follow you, bearing fruit in every good work. Father, I recognise the broken relationship, and I thank you for running to me to be reconciled. I count myself born again, and delight to call you, God, my Father. Help me to live a life that is a delight to you. Holy Spirit, please become my closest companion, my counsellor, and guide, comforter, and closest friend, now and forever. Amen.